Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rural Spark. I'm your host, Helen Murphy. Today, we're going to take a look at a set of clues to rural community survival and prosperity. That's something Mylan Wall knows a lot about. Mylan is co-director of the Heartland Center for Leadership Development in Nebraska, and he's written and presented extensively on leadership and community development and the entrepreneurial community. Mylan is bringing his workshop on the 20 Clues to Rural Community Survival to a conference in British Columbia this fall, and we have a little preview on that and so much more in today's episode. Hello, Mylan, and welcome to Rural Spark. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So you're in Nebraska today, and uh, you're at the Heartland Center. Can you tell us a little bit about the Heartland Center, what it does, and uh, why it is in Nebraska, and maybe how you came to be there? (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, Well, the Heartland Center for Leadership Development is a small nonprofit that I helped create uh, more than 30 years ago. Um, During the farm crisis of the mid-1980s, the headlines were full of gloom and doom about the future of small towns throughout this part of the country. And um, I had volunteered for a project to try to help turn some of those attitudes around. We decided to take a contrary approach. We went out and found small towns that were doing okay despite the economic hardships. Right. And we tried to figure out what was behind their success. And our conclusion in a nutshell was that it's what leaders say and do that makes the ultimate difference. So, Uh, We ended up starting this organization called the Heartland Center for Leadership Development with uh, the focus on leadership. What we do is basically three things. We do training for small town leaders and community development professionals. We do facilitation, mainly facilitating community strategic planning processes. And uh, we also do research and evaluation that we use as a way to develop and and continue developing best practices and we disseminate everything we can so other people can learn from what our experiences are telling us. And is the location key to that kind of work in Nebraska? I'm assuming there's an abundance of small towns and rural communities throughout your area. Well, yes. In Nebraska alone, we're not a we're not a huge state but uh, we have half of the incorporated municipalities have populations of 400 or less. Wow. So we have a lot of small towns. Yeah, absolutely. And is that home for you too, Mylon? Is that is Nebraska I grew, home? Yes. I grew up in Nebraska. Um, I grew up in the western part of the state. I came to Lincoln, where, I, where my office is, to attend the University of Nebraska and um, I'm one of those people who um been through several careers and right. they've all kept me here. So oh, well that's encouraging too for people. I mean a lot of our audience I think are people who come from rural areas who would like to have a bright future for, for them and their families in that area and, and, and do um work that maybe overlaps a bit with what you're doing. And you've, of course, written a few books on the topic of, uh, particularly what we wanted to look at today was, you know, entrepreneurism and and the entrepreneurial rural community, how that helps with survival. Why has this topic become such a focus of your work and your life at this point in your career? Well, there are a number of of potential answers to that. I guess 
the simple answer, if there is one, is that um, I really think that small towns uh, depend on the viability of small businesses to a great extent. Many of our communities have a, a large agricultural emphasis, but there are still uh, viable small, small businesses on Main Street uh, if the community is viable. And those small businesses contribute mightily to sustainability from an economic development point of view. So we decided early on to help communities focus on what it means to be entrepreneurial. And we think that a direct indi indicator of that is the extent to which they support entrepreneurship in their community. But more broadly speaking, we think communities should be entrepreneurial themselves from both a strategic perspective and really an attitudinal one. How do we as a community look for new opportunities? How do we position ourselves for success? And so we sort of think about a community from the same point of view that a small business might think about itself in the sense that communities have to answer a basic question that's core to entrepreneurship, and that is what business are we in? What business do we want to be in? What, from a, a community perspective, like again, a small business perspective, let's decide what our niche is. Let's exploit that. Let's build from our assets and determine how we can uh, expand those assets in a way that attracts uh, new business, new residents, tourists, all the things that uh, help us capture some of the dollars that may be driving by or driving through, but don't slow down and stop. Right. And so does that mean finding your differentiator? Does it mean, you know, not doing what the community down the highway is, is doing, but what's unique about your community that can be leveraged uh, for an entrepreneurial type of growth? Yeah, it, it means figuring out what we can do. Uh, better uh, or differently than the community down the road. Um, uh, one of the workshops I do is community branding, and I'm always um, frustrated by the, the community that says, describes itself as uh, a nice small town with good people. And I yeah. say, well, how does that differentiate you from the community that's 15 miles away or 50 miles away? What, what do you have here? Or what could you develop here that really would put a unique stamp on you? And um, again, I think that's what viable small businesses do. What can I do that Walmart can't or uh, whatever big box store may be invading my marketing territory? Right. And when you talk about talk to communities about that entrepreneurial spirit that's so crucial to having a vibrant rural community, um, you don't want communities to limit that to the actual business community. I think what, what you're saying, if, I, if I'm hearing you right, is that uh, the municipal government itself, the community organizations, you know, the, the civic side of society, um, we can all have an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial approach to growing our communities. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I think I'm talking about an entrepreneurial attitude that pervades the community, its organizations. Um, your point about civic organizations, municipal government organizations, um, 
all youth organizations, I think that a community is in a better position to thrive if that entrepreneurial spirit and attitude is found throughout the community. And I was uh, pleased to see that you're coming to Canada and bringing some of your expertise uh, here in the fall. Um, so your organization has developed a workshop model around what it calls the 20 clues to rural community survival. That's a, a, an intriguing title. Um, so you'll be coming to BC in October um, to a conference called Keeping It Rural. I understand that's organized by the BC Rural Center. So we don't have a time right now, of course, to go through the full 20 list, but what are some of those 20 ingredients that you think are most likely to be overlooked when a community is trying to move forward? And, and maybe what are some of the most vital clues on that, that 20 item list? Sure. Well, um, let me answer the first question in this way. What might be overlooked? Clue number four is participatory approach to community decision-making. That's the kind of thing that I think gets overlooked too often. There's an assumption, uh, unfortunately, yet in many places that, you know, we elected our leaders or we hired an economic development specialist, let them do it. Right. And we think the most viable places are where those kinds of leaders are engaging many, many people in the community and helping find the solutions to the questions that are key to the community's future. Number seven is awareness of competitive positioning and that underscores just what we were talking about. What's our niche as a community? Your question about what's most important, clue number 10 is worded this way, deliberate transition of power to a younger generation of leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, to be blunt, where the good old boys are holding on and not letting anybody else in, you got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Where communities are, again, going about this in a deliberate way, we think that the community has a much better chance to uh, move into the future in a confident and sustainable way. And each of those points, Mylon, I think also might speak in some areas to breaking down generational, multi-generational habits, right? Like for, for generations, some of these rural communities have developed, and there might have been an attitude that government looks after those things. You know, big government looks after those things. Well, yeah. Um, again, if our, our re this all comes out of our research and our practice. If we're just assuming that the people in power today uh, have all the answers, we're making a really dangerous assumption. We worked with a futurist uh, when we were starting the uh, Heartland Center uh, named Robert Theobald. He's Scottish. He's no longer with us, but he made a good point. He said, uh, leaders don't necessarily have all the right answers, but they should have the right questions. Mm. And I thought that was a very insightful way to define in a nutshell what leaders should be doing in their communities. And of course, when you're talking about engaging a, a different generation, being a good listener is, uh, you know, asking the right questions, I guess, is listening well to those answers and, and listening to the new generation and what they want from their communities. Yes, that's true. And again, um, I'm sorry to say this, but a lot of older generation uh, leaders aren't very good about listening to what the younger generations are saying. In our work, we try very hard to get young people uh, into our workshops. And uh, when I say young, young people, 
Uh, I'm talking about going down into the uh, middle school, even upper elementary school level, level. And every time we have younger people in the room, the conversation has different tenor and tone. Mm -hmm. They bring a whole different attitude. They don't know all the things that have been tried in the past that didn't work quite right. Not afraid to say what they think, uh, even if it's a little crazy. And um, that's also true of having newcomers and, and young adults in the room. So we're real um, enthusiastic proponents of making sure the younger generations are engaged, heard, and feel like they can contribute. And Mylon, when you bring your workshops to Canada, are you mindful of the differences between our two countries? Um, do you see some, maybe some different strengths and challenges when it comes to rural economic development in the Canadian context? What I find is that the differences are pointed out to me almost immediately. By right. The people we're, in, we're helpful like that, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say that Going back, just referring to the 20 clues to rural community survival, these have resonated everywhere we've taken them. Uh, several years ago, I used this content with uh, First Nations planners and economic developers in BC, and they got it right away. Last summer, I did a workshop in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, using this same content. They got it right away. I, I took this, this uh, content into inner city Washington, D.C. one time, uh, sponsored by Johns Hopkins Universities. They wanted me to help train neighborhood association leaders on how to do community strategic planning. And I said, well, we're going to have to rewrite the, the 20 clues to rural community survival. And the folks at Johns Hopkins said, no, we don't want you to do that. We want to find out if, if this makes sense here. I said, okay, but you're taking a big chance. Well, we went into these neighborhoods in our nation's capital. This very same content, they all got it. They just translated it yeah. into terms that made sense to them. Yeah, well, and, and that just shows how it's going to resonate with communities facing similar problems around the world, really, and especially when we talk about rural communities. Yes, and, uh, and th this particular content has, the 20 clues have been disseminated worldwide not by us, but so much, but by other people picking them up and sharing them. And you also have a training component, um, a session that's called uh, Diversity as Opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's about uh, overcoming community polarization. And I noticed on your website, you do note that America is becoming more racially and culturally diverse. And of course, in recent months and the last few years, we do see division growing in some cases around diversity. But you're encouraging community leaders to embrace the power of new people in their communities. Is that becoming more difficult in today's America? And, and how important do you see diversity to a rural community's success? Well, we, we see diversity as uh, one of the key characteristics for success. And um, we encourage this wherever we go, uh, whatever we do. Now, point about um, division is real. There are communities that are struggling with how to, how to do this in a way that provides a positive framework to get new people in and get new things done. And um, 
the communities that are open to uh, diversity embrace new ideas and newcomers, but in some communities, this is not a value that everybody shares. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm really more hopeful and pessimistic about this, to be honest, though. Um, you know, diversity gets defined in a lot of different ways. One of the uh, clues to rural community survival, the one that uh, we now define as uh, embracing diversity and leadership, it used to say uh, acceptance of women in leadership. Mm -hmm. And our first sort of version of how diversity was playing out was when the good old boys would let the young gals in. Right. <laughs> and, and we changed that eventually because um, we didn't want it to suggest that diversity is just whatever the boys in the back room are permitting to happen. We want it to be a celebration of diversity. And so we sort of changed our own um, language around that. Right. But again, you know, there are communities that are obviously struggling with this. And we have some attitudes that have appeared nationally in, a, in the U.S. that says, if you're too different, you're not welcome. Um, we just don't accept that. <laughs> and, and we say that very bluntly in right. our community work. We say, if you have newcomers in the community, you better embrace them. I'll tell you about uh, Nebraska small towns uh, specifically. The, the little towns that are growing are either located on, uh, along major transportation routes or close to uh, micropolitan centers or they are places where diverse people are finding work. And those places typically are growing when many small towns are in decline. And they're growing because they're welcoming different kinds of people. And so, that example of success could be just the key to having other people, other communities get on board with a diversity leading to growth and prosperity. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, much of your work at the at the Heartland Center is in cooperation with the University of Nebraska. We've mm -hmm. talked a little bit on Rural Spark about you know uh, post secondary education institutions and and rural communities uh, futures. Uh, how important do you feel it is for rural communities to tap into the resources of post secondary institutions and in, in helping to solve their problems and build brighter futures? Well, obviously, from our work history, we think this is very very important. I think rural communities should demand help from post-secondary institutions right. because two things, universities are reservoirs of uh, good research, uh, high-level knowledge, and other um, avenues to improve practice, but uh, not very many uh, post-secondary institutions are really good at outreach to their rural community neighbors and constituents. And so um, we, we push the University of, of Nebraska all the time to do a better job of this. And I mean, they're accepting of, of, our, of our encouragement and they ask for our help to make it happen. But if a university or a post-secondary institution close to you is not being very good at outreach that uh, helps put new tools and new knowledge into the hands of your communities, I think you need to be knocking on their doors and saying, we need your help. 
and here's what we need your help to do. Right. And I, I think universities, I think there's been some effort to try to open the doors, you know, because traditionally there's been this the view that it is hard to, to penetrate the walls. I think in some cases, you know, there's there's some successes better than others. But it was interesting, you know, Mylon, we had a, a guest on um, maybe a month ago, uh, a researcher from Ireland who was telling about some of the strategies in that country. And one of the things that they've done in the post-secondary uh, sphere is uh, they'll give a small community uh, vouchers. So a voucher worth X number of euros um, where they can go to a post-secondary institution and purchase, you know, their research support and their expertise to help move the community forward. I love that idea. I'm going I'm to yeah. <laughs> write that down. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems great. And if, you know, because people can say, well, you should do this, you should do this. But if you're actually given a voucher and this is the dollar value of it and you go knock on that door and, and you can purchase, you know, and the government's going to support that. I think that yeah. is a power, that's a powerful example. Yeah, that's a great idea. I like it. So I always want to end on a really positive point, Mylon. So I'm wondering, uh, what are some of the your favorite examples of entrepreneurial and innovative rural communities or, or programs and initiatives that, you know, things that have really impressed you in the course of your work and, and maybe what you think we can learn from them? Yeah, thank you. Well, let me talk about a couple of communities and what they're doing um, that I think underscores the value of this. Um, O'Neill, Nebraska uh, is a town of about 4,000. Uh, several years ago, leaders in um, this small community decided they really needed to reach out to alumni, graduates of their local schools who had moved away, and find out where they were and what they were doing and what it might take to get them back. And uh, they've had extraordinary success doing that. And I'll just uh, Here's a couple of examples of what they do. When they can track these people down, and they, they've developed ways to communicate with them on a regular basis, mm -hmm. they say, if you could move back to O'Neill, what kind of work would you be interested in doing? Or would you like to start, to start a business of your own? And what would it take to do that? And then the other thing they say, which I think is really, really smart, is assuming your spouse will be coming with you, what kind of work would he or she be interested in? What a great idea. And they've attracted a whole cadre of young people, many of whom grew up in O'Neill, but not all because others are learning that if you go to this community or talk to them, they can help you figure out where the good jobs are or where the business opportunities are. And then once those young people get there, they have uh, what, the rest of us might call a young professionals group. They don't really like that term, but mm -hmm. they have a way to, to get the, these young people connected and help them stay connected in a way that makes sense to them. And so a lot of it is around events, uh, bicycle race or a uh, community cleanup or some activity that these folks think will make their community better, but they're, they're, providing ways for them to strengthen their connections while they're there. This is consistent with uh, research the University of Nebraska has done over the years that says people who move to small towns usually have some connection there, and they will stay if they feel like they're welcome and that those connections get stronger. <laughs> they don't stay if they don't feel welcome or don't feel like they're invited to participate. And O'Neill is just doing this very deliberately. 
Great example. Yeah, uh, and Ord, Nebraska, town of about 2,000. Uh, they just made entrepreneurship their highest priority for economic development. Uh, this goes back almost 20 years now. And um, this is a community that was declining in population and in school enrollment, had a lot of uh, business, uh, uh, empty storefronts, businesses going out, no plan for transitioning those businesses to new ownership. They said, we're going to concentrate on that and we're just going to make sure that we're doing the best job we can. And what has happened uh, over these 20 years is their population decline has ceased. They're now growing. Their school enrollment is growing. Uh, their tax base is growing. Uh, contributions to their uh, community foundation are growing. And they're using those assets to continue to strengthen uh, entrepreneurial talent in their community. Well, there's some great takeaways for us, Mylan, and thank you so much for being on Rural Spark this morning. We do want to keep following what the Heartland Center and, and you yourself are, are up to and, and see how this conference in BC on, uh, from the Rural Center goes uh, this fall. And uh, let's stay in touch. And, and thanks again for giving us such great insights. Yes, thank you very much. It's been a okay. pleasure to visit with you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thanks to all of you for joining us this week on Rural Spark. Our team includes content producer Catherine Murphy and technical producer Tara Seabarth. Music is by Jason Shaw. We wish you all the very best for the week ahead in your part of rural Canada.